As was stated, Frank is in a gospel meeting. And when he asked me to take his place, that was before my sinuses kicked in. And so I'm kind of groggy, but I'll try to represent God accurately in our efforts together. Tonight, uh, we will kind of continue a two-part series on morals in the Bible. And this morning, I'd like for us to turn our attention to this concept of purity. We had read to us a moment ago by Ethan from Philippians 4, how we are to be pure. And, you know, one of the ways to study the Bible is to look at the characters of the Bible that God, by inspiration, chose to preserve for us uh, in order for us to look at and pay attention. So either they're a, a good positive role model or they're not. And there are some people that excelled in certain attributes and yet were flawed in other areas. And that's certainly the case with all of us. Vashti, of course, was a heathen or pagan a queen of a very uh, pagan civilization. And yet, uh, in the book of Esther, we have her spotlighted. And even though in God's great providence, uh, he uh, took advantage of her removal from her position to advance his own agenda, I think that he intended for us to draw from this woman uh, one particular attribute that is appropriate. You remember the details how... Uh, King Xerxes uh, in history, King Ahasuerus is his Hebrew name, how he had this banquet and he, he and his companions were drunk and um, he decided therefore in that drunken condition to have her uh, come forward in front of all of these uh, officials and people. There were a lot of people apparently at the banquet uh, to display herself. Well, the only way to look at that is that, you know, this is... Uh, demeaning, it's disrespectful, it's, it can even be vulgar depending upon what condition he was expecting her to uh, show herself in. And so she just refused to do it. You know, as a child when I read this I thought, well you know why refuse that? He just wants her to walk out there and let everybody see her and then he, she can go. It had to have been more than that. And she just flat rejected it. I don't think out of, um, you know, stubbornness or rebelliousness. She, she felt like this would be an affront to her own dignity. And I think it would have been. So she refused to do that. And as you well know, it cost her her crown. So how much are you and I willing to sacrifice in order to maintain our purity, our integrity, and the like? Another great example, of course, is Daniel when he was carried off into Babylonian captivity. And um, immediate, you know, the reason why he and his three Hebrew friends were carried into captivity in that um, deportation by the Babylonians, um, they were not just, you know, just taking a few with them. They were handpicking individuals of royal descent in order to uh, indoctrinate them. It's kind of a propaganda thing. You know, if you want to take over a country, get the, uh, uh, the bright minds, the youth and the, and the bright minds, and train them and indoctrinate them in order to use them to help you advance uh, your influence in that country. So these young Jewish nobles were carried off into captivity and given uh, Babylonian names, um, dressed in Babylonian clothing, and uh, put on Babylonian diets. And in, on this, in this instance, you remember Daniel refused that part of it. He refused to consume uh, the foods that, uh, the menu that was prepared for him, as you well know, because of Mosaic legislation about uh, what 
Jews were permitted to eat and what they were not permitted to eat. So he refused to do that. Well, that's a, that's a big risk because he could endanger uh, himself and his companions by uh, incurring the wrath of the king, but he purposed in his heart. Now that's what all of us need, especially our young people, to decide in your own heart, your own mind, that you're going to live for God and do what God wants you to do, even when everybody around you, all your friends and others, are trying to urge you to do wrong. Have a pure heart, a heart that wants to be right with God and to comply with God's will, no matter what pressure is being brought to bear upon you. And so he refused to partake of those uh, foods and drink, which uh, the king insisted that they uh, partake of. Well, that, that's a pure individual. And obviously, all of us, when we chose to become a Christian, purposed in our heart to do so. We made a, a mental, intellectual decision to do what's right. But that's an ongoing activity, is it not, in the life of a Christian? And our young people in particular need to make up their own mind early to be pure in God's sight and to do what He wants us to do. Well, you remember... Um, on, on this occasion, where um, the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said, you know, um, everybody here is consulted together to establish this royal statute, make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. You're all very familiar with this. And so they convinced the Persian king to establish this decree. And we know historically that this little comment that cannot be changed is, is in fact true. Uh, under Persian law, even the king himself who made the decree could not alter it. That's an odd law, but that was, uh, that was the historical setting. And uh, as you know, just as soon as Daniel knew what the decree said on the matter, he went right home and violated it by doing what he had done every day in kneeling down on his knees and three times a day praying to God, thanking God. Uh, so does God command us to pray to him? Yes. Does he command us to pray to anybody else? No. And so any governmental uh, decision that orders people not to do what God has ordered them to do, is a command that you and I must violate. And in doing so, we, we remain pure in heart. You know, kind of the flip side of that is we, we're now living in a country and under a government that has legalized the killing, the butchering of infants, even right up to the point of birth. Now, <clears throat> the fact that the law authorizes that, uh, should Christians comply with that? Or should we not only not practice it, but urge others not to practice it as well? Well, to do so, you're going against a sizable percentage of the political world around us. And uh, they dislike with vehemence those who would challenge or question uh, that decision that was made by our Supreme Court back in 1973. Uh, when you go to the book of Daniel, you see a lot of conflict between human civil government and God's will. And I believe we're now living at a time, even though the founders of our civilization understood that concept and sought to establish our republic on the concept of the one true God and his will as expressed in scripture. We've now lived 
to see over 230 years later a kind of a turning about on that to where we are seeing our own government become the enemy of the people of our society that are trying to be pure in heart before God. And we need to prepare our children for more and more of this kind of thing and to remind them there have been other people lived long before us that were put in terrible situations where they clashed with the government and the government came down on them. And yet they, were, they maintained their integrity before God and remained pure. And that was certainly the case uh, with Daniel. He continued to do what God wanted him to do regardless of what uh, the king said. And you remember how God then uh, preserved his life. Obadiah was a prophet back in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, not the prophet whose book we have uh, preserved for us. Uh, but Obadiah was quite the individual. You remember whenever um, Elijah uh, confronted <clears throat> Ahab and then <laughs> ran for his life, so to speak, um, Obadiah was called before uh, Ahab. And uh, here we have this little parenthetical statement that uh, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Here's a pure-hearted individual. And uh, when Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took 100 and um, hid them in two separate locations and fed them with bread and water. So he was determined to defy, notice that, defy the government, defy the king and the queen who were, try, who were doing evil things in God's sight. He stepped in and did all he could to try to help the situation as much as possibly could be helped in his situation. That was Obadiah. Elijah, who was a contemporary, you remember uh, when he approached the king and before I suppose he could say anything, uh, the king accused him of being the troubler of Israel and he shot back pretty quickly there. I'm not the one that's causing the trouble, you are. And all of those who support your thinking all of you who forsake the commandments of the Lord and follow the Baals, that's who's causing trouble. Who's causing trouble in America right at this very moment? Just stand back and look at our, what, 300 plus million population. Who are the troublemakers in our country? Is it God's people that are trying to just live a, a Christian life and be faithful to Him? Or is it the criminals and the thugs that are violating the law? and politicians that are promoting principles and concepts that are contrary to the will of God. If you went up to some of those in Washington, D.C. and said, do you realize that you are a troublemaker? You are troubling our country and harming it. Would they go, oh, sorry, okay, I'll quit that. Well, Ahab was not about to stop troubling the country but he was very happy to accuse other people of doing it, even as the liberal politicians of our country do the same. They point the finger at who they think is the problem. And the reason why they think they're the problem is because they do not go along with their agenda on any number of issues that we know the Bible has much to say about. So, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ash, Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. All of this in 1 King 18, and you remember what happened. Elijah stood up to them. God displayed his miraculous response, and it was an incredible moment in time. Now in Joshua chapter 24, remember the book of Joshua records the military assault of the land of Canaan, and you remember how um, the book records that they were successful. We're going to note uh, one incident uh, tonight where there was a, a glitch or a hitch in the matter. 
But here they've come to the end of that period of uh, military campaigning, and Joshua's gathered the whole nation uh, before him to deliver this farewell speech. And you remember it well, serve the Lord, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Remember to link, link this verse up with John 4.24 where Jesus said that uh, if you want to worship God, you've got to do it in spirit and in truth. He was saying exactly the same thing that Joshua was saying. You want to serve God, you want to worship God, you do it in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, remember the Hebrew term evil most of the time in the Old Testament means harmful or uh, detrimental in some way. <clears throat> to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does this not manifest a pure-hearted individual that's wanting to be right with God, maintain his integrity in God's sight, and, and remain harmonious with the God of the Bible and with his will for our lives. That's a principled person, and God has always used those individuals in Bible history uh, to, to represent himself and to advance his will. And you know, he wants every one of us to be the same way. No exceptions in the church. We're all to be principled people of integrity and of pure heart. Josiah was eight years old, you remember, when he came to the throne. Obviously too young, immature, and unknowing to uh, function as a king. And so at that point in history, uh, he would be a, t a king of tender age like this, would typically be assisted by his mother and by a prophet who was assigned uh, to his uh, kingly responsibilities. And it was not until he was uh, 26 that I would say he became old enough uh, and mature enough to assess the moral climate of the country. And man, he, he got busy. He went to work and he began cleaning up the country. Uh, you know, in a republic like ours, you have to do that through voting and so forth. But in a country where there's a monarch, a king or a queen, you can just issue decrees and get it done quickly even if the bulk of the people do not want to do it. And so that's what he did. He got busy cleaning the place up. Uh, you remember Hilkiah the high priest and Shaphan the scribe found as they were, uh, I suppose, trying to repair the temple. They found among the debris of the temple uh, the book of the law, which probably was mostly Deuteronomy, maybe some of Leviticus, whatever. And... Uh, brought it to him and began reading it to him and, and he tore his clothes, typical of oriental grief, and he uh, uh, you know, asked for assistance in sorting out uh, what is God's thinking at this moment in the history of this nation? What, what are we going to do? What would he have us to do? What's going to be the outcome of all of this? And um, <clears throat> he said, Asiah, servant of the king, said, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against him. He read enough of the Bible to know in comparing that with the social conditions of the nation. We're in big trouble. We're in deep water here. And God is angry because for, for generations now we have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning it. So you remember um, a prophetess by the name of Huldah comes and reports to him God's view on the matter. 
and says, you know, there's, there's going to be calamity. But because your heart, Josiah, was tender, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants. See, that's purity of heart. That they would become a desolation and a curse. You tore your clothes. You wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You will be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not have to see all this calamity that I'm going to bring upon this place. So God was uh, kind to him and gentle with him in allowing him to not have to see the outcome. But notice that um, God was telling Josiah that the societal conditions of the nation are such that even though you have launched this incredible reformation movement, restoration movement, it's too little too late. I've already decided that the nation's going down. That I won't make you have to go through that. Actually live to see it. My computer is apparently not as pure as it's supposed to be. Look at the steps of purity that um, Josiah demonstrated. He gathered the leaders and entire nation and read God's word to them. See, that's what our nation desperately needs. And of course, the church on a regular basis. Then he and the people promised to God to implement God's instructions on those matters. He immediately set about uh, eliminating idolatry from the nation by burning all of the gods and idols and so forth. He eliminated all individuals that, that participated in that kind of activity. You know, under the law of Moses, uh, mediums, spiritists, enchanters, witchcrafts, all of that, sorcerers, uh, that's a death penalty offense. Under the law of Moses, that's a death penalty offense. So he's bringing the nation back into harmony with God's will. He tore down all the high places where they would engage in idolatrous worship, defiled the places of pagan worship where they were unusable. He executed the priests of the high places. By the way, homosexuality had um, asserted itself at this point in Israelite history. He executed all of them as well. And then reinstituted the Passover, put back into place the proper worship activities that God intended for them to engage in. So here I just wrote down this, these terms drawn from uh, 2 Kings to show what, what was required of him in demonstrating the purity and purifying the nation as God intended. He pulverized, broke in pieces, cut down, talking here about all the idolatrous things, crushed, took away, executed those involved, burned, removed, ground, ground into uh, dust, threw out, tore down, broke down. You know, this is all kind of negative stuff, and it would no doubt took a lot of effort and a lot of time, but such is what is required in order to establish purity in a nation and in one's life. In fact, uh, before him there was no king like him. He turned to the Lord. Here's the purity, see, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses. Uh, his life came to a very tragic end. I don't know that it was uh, painful, but uh, it was in fulfillment of God telling him, uh, you won't have to see all of this that's about to happen to the nation. In 609 B.C., uh, Pharaoh Necho was uh, in full march to uh, uh, head, up, head up toward Babylonia, and uh, they had a skirmish in the Valley of Megiddo. 
and um, Josiah was mortally wounded. And even the great prophet Jeremiah, we have recorded for us how he mourned uh, this wonderful king who started at such an early age, and yet so far as I can tell throughout his life, manifested a pure heart. One other person before we close, Phineas. And there's so much about him that we don't have time to talk about, but here's this incredible incident in, in Numbers 25 where the Israelites had been traveling, remember, from, they're still in the midst of the 40-year uh, period of desert meandering. And they finally traveled on southerly around uh, the Dead Sea and come up on the eastern side of the Jordan River in preparation, getting poised to go into the Promised Land and conquer it as God had instructed the previous generation. But they stop off there in Moab. Some of the Israelite men participate in their idolatrous, uh, false religious activity, which included illicit sexual activity. And so God ordered the offenders to be executed. And you remember the story how um, they met at the tabernacle to mourn the death of those who were, who were to be executed. And in the meantime, Zimri, we're even given his name, and Cosby, which was the name of the Midianite woman, came right into the presence of the mourning congregation and went directly to a tent. Phinehas saw them. You know, we're not, we're not, wouldn't you like to know more detail? Did anybody else see them? Why didn't anybody else do anything about this? Well, Phineas saw them, left the assembly, grabbed his javelin, followed the couple into the tent, and drove with one thrust uh, the shaft of that spear through the two. And uh, a plague had commenced because God was so displeased with the nation and their involvement in this idolatrous activity. And... Um, 24,000 died, and more would have died if God, the plague had not been stopped. And God says it was Phinehas that was responsible for stopping it. Now, if someone like this did something similar to this in our day, we'd have him arrested and jailed. And we certainly would not think that such an individual would be manifesting purity of heart that is pleasing to God. But that's clearly what is the case on this occasion. In fact, God said, it was Phinehas who turned back my wrath because he was zealous. You know, the term jealous and zealous in our English translations, uh, I think King James used jealous. Uh, that's a term that connotes the idea of being so determined to please God and do exactly what God wants you to do that you are consumed with, uh, with a determination to be right with God. See, that, that's purity of heart purity of heart. And he says, only because Phinehas is like me in this regard. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, Phinehas, you are just like, you possess the same ardent spirit that I possess toward evil, against evil, even to the point of being willing to courageously stand up and do something that would be considered by most people to be outrageous. And consequently, God blessed him with a covenant of peace. And again, the reason given, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. That is a pure-hearted individual. 
Vashti was pure in sexual morals. Daniel was pure in diet and prayer. Obadiah pure in fearless commitment. Elijah pure in courageous confrontation. Joshua in determined leadership. Josiah in humble, valiant penitence for the whole nation, really. And Phinehas was pure in his selfless initiative to enact zealousness for the God of the Bible. Let us summarize. Philippians 4 that we had read to us a moment ago. Whatever things are pure, meditate, focus on, think on these things on a daily basis. 1 Timothy 5, Paul told the young Timothy, you've got to keep yourself pure. 1 John chapter 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Notice that's an ongoing activity that we Christians engage in, trying to purify ourselves and follow, walk in the light regularly with God. James 4, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See how this has to do with, with your mind being stayed on God's will and not being lured away uh, to a different approach. And then, of course, Matthew 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. All right, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation this morning, maybe you've not been living life purely in your mind and in your life. You have an opportunity to correct that by coming before the church, obeying the gospel plan of salvation through faith, repentance, confession, baptism, or as a Christian, making those spiritual changes that need to be made publicly. Let's stand and sing this hymn together as we think about God's words on these matters. Help the wayward sinner and show them the way. And go on out and greet them. God wants it that way. And tell them all about Jesus and the cross that he bore. Of the blood that he shed, crown of thorns that he died for you and me. There is life eternal for you and for me. For that very reason Christ died on the tree. Thou the laws about Jesus how he walked among men, and he knows every need, he's our Savior and friend. Go, go on up, sinner, Jesus died, set us free, help the lost. Jesus, I'm hanging down.
Put out the wayward sinner Jesus died for you and me We appreciate that uh, lesson very much. We look forward to our lesson tonight. I apologize, that song there was one that we have not sang probably but one time. And I think Paul led that song, and it's been a year ago, maybe more. And uh, anyway, we'll, we'll work on that one maybe in our 5 o'clock class. It helps when we have uh, uh, April and now, T, uh, or now a Beth here uh, to help uh, boost our alto when we don't know a song like that. But uh, we'll work on it. Um, we're going to sing one last song. Let's remember our 5 o'clock class. We have an opportunity to, um, the young men especially, to work on our leadership skills. And let's uh, try to be here for that. And then 5.30, our training memorization class where we uh, are memorizing scripture through song. And very, very beneficial. Uh, it's a good way to uh, get the word of God in our hearts, to carry it with us. Let's be here for that at 5.30. And then 6 o'clock, of course, our worship period will start once again. Let's sing one last song, number 327, 327, and we'll be dismissed. Beautiful. We'll sing the first verse only and be dismissed, uh, Jeff, I think, out of prayer. Beautiful robe so white, a beautiful land of light, beautiful home so bright, where there shall come no night, beautiful crown I'll wear, shining with stars o'er there, yonder in mansions fair, gather us there, beautiful land, beautiful home, beautiful band, beautiful crown, shining so fair, beautiful mansion bright, gather us there.